Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado Radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning on this sunny, beautiful day in Colorado. There is still a lot going on. We're going to finish talking to a few of the guys that were at the ISE show this last week. And just want to thank all the folks that came up. It was so fantastic. It's always, always so great when you come up to us and talk to us. And you know what? If you see me out in public or something, don't hesitate to come up and say hi. I mean, I know sometimes you don't want to bother people, but we love meeting the people at ISC and how much you like this show. And we don't mind some criticism either that you wish we would do more of other things or cover other things. That's that's all important, too, because this show belongs to you. We want to make the outdoor experience in Colorado better and ISC uh, uh, accomplish that. We're going to get a lot of reports from around the state. We've been covering the outdoors indoors lately. We're going to cover a lot of topics today. We're going to get reports from people like Austin Parr and Bernie Keefe and Ronnie Castiglione and uh, Matt Ensley. They're all out fishing, checking things out this week. We'll get some hunting updates. Parks and Wildlife is going to come on, update us on the uh, uh, State Forest Park area. We're also going to talk a little bit about the gill lice situation during today's show because it really has uh, it really has exasperated the uh, the, the ability to p- produce a good kokanee population. We want to let you know where that's at and what or if can be done about that. So we're going to cover that today. And uh, we'll just have a lot of topics, but let's go right to the phone right now. Joining us, one of the um, people that was with us at ISC and participating in the activities, and we're going to get updates on both fishing and hunting from him, and that's Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. You know, it's it's going to be, we had a couple cool days yesterday. It's going to be pretty warm today, and I think in the 50s tomorrow, we get two or three days of uh, maybe snowy weather and maybe the snow we need on the plains. We'll talk about that in a minute. But then next weekend, it's back up in the 50s again. So it's really a mixed bag. You know how much I love ice fishing. I know you love ice fishing. Absolutely. But let's start. Well, first of all, let's start at ISC. We want to get to that. But first of all, thank you for being at ISC. I thought you had a great uh, crowd at your presentations. And I thought everything we did in conjunction with the fishing tank went really well. Absolutely. You know, I always enjoy giving seminars, and, and for anyone out there listening that maybe wasn't at ISE last year, the new Experts Corner where we can actually, you know, have people come up and, and talk on a one-on-one basis, I thought was a really good addition. No, I think we're definitely bringing it back. And what Austin's talking about, over where we have the demo tank, we've added, it's just really a table with a couple chairs, and they bring their gear and we have different experts sign up. It's on a schedule, and they have a topic there scheduled to talk about, like Dan Swanson talked about electronics, and and then uh, everybody, but they'll talk fishing. And it's so great because instead of having a huge crowd, there's no seating, you kind of come up, talk to them. If they have some equipment, you demonstrate it. Really gives you intimate contact with the folks, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, and it's something that I do every single day down here at the store, and I'm very used to it, but, you know, it, it's something that I think it's very, it's fantastic to get everyone participating in it and, and have that one-on-one experience. Well, and thank you for helping with the kids' event, too. Seeing those little kids and some older kids, too. We had kids all the way up to 16 or more. We gave away 
over three dozen fishing rods. And so how you know how that went, folks. Brad Peterson did a seminar. At the beginning of that seminar, everybody got a ticket, and they got a package from BioBait. They, and they took that ticket at the end of Brad's seminar to uh, Austin's booth, uh, Discount Tackle, and then they picked up the rods that were donated by Pure Fishing. They were uh, Shakespeare rods and reels. We want to give a huge shout-out to Shakespeare, too. Absolutely. But I thought, I thought that went really well. It really did. And, you know, it just lights up those kids' day and, you know, hopefully gives them an opportunity to, to get out there and, and get out on the water and, and, you know, start with the sport that we all love. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about what's going on. I want to get, I know you're an upland game hunter. I want to get that. But let's let's talk fishing first. You and I both love ice fishing. Now, there's some Great ice fishing opportunities in Colorado. Um, I think you're going to have to drive a little bit. At least that's what I'd recommend. I know that there are people out on the ice on the front range, and I know we're going to get some cold weather, but after two days of warmth here again and warming up next weekend, I just hesitate to recommend anybody going on the front range ice. Yeah, as do I. I mean, there's been some marginal ice at best at places like Chatfield, but there's also some pressure ridges forming, and there's one in particular that's about two feet long or two feet wide in the uh, in the north boat ramp area that has full open water out there, and that's something where I've been urging caution this morning to some folks heading out there that you know you might have a place like that be frozen, and then all of a sudden you don't know when don't don't know that it's there. And, and go right through the ice. It's plenty big enough to, to swallow somebody up. So definitely the mountain lakes are going to be your better bet. You know, we got our, our big tournament up in Granby here in the, the next week, and a lot of folks have been heading up there. But if you're looking for some other options on some good lake trout, you know, places like Williams Fork can be really worthwhile. And even driving a bit further, I've been hearing some reports that Stagecoach is producing some fantastic fishing, and typically that lake does not take the pressure that places like Antero or 11 Mile do. Well, you're absolutely right. I've heard great reports from North Park too, Lake John. Absolutely. And uh, they're, they're catching not only big fish, but numbers of fish. And I'm sure that the guys at uh, Tightline, when they come on, will tell us about South Park. But I've heard Antero, Ontario, you know, they, some of those lakes get pressure. The thing to remember, if you're going to go ice fishing, first of all, as this weather warms, we get more up in water, there's going to be less pressure. Yes. We should have good ice fishing well into March up in the mountains. Absolutely. You know, and as we move later in the season, what I usually like to do as well is maybe get away from some of those larger and and brighter jigs like some of your pinks and oranges and a lot of times i'm going more natural in color and then particularly up in north park there's a a pretty good bait fish population up there i've seen sticklebacks up in there before and then you know small other little fish but i've done very very well utilizing things like a two and a half inch gulp minnow something that you know you might not always think about using on the ice with you know you want to go really small but going a little bit bigger than having a dead stick being smaller is the the tip that i've been uh, having anglers go out there with and it's something that i always have good success well, and there are. I mean, check the conditions and everything. And we're going to have Bernie Keefe's going to come on later. He'll give us some reports and the Tightline guys. But there are ice fishing opportunities that exist for a long time. But you know what? I, I'm going to admit something that I never thought I'd say. I didn't get much ice fishing in this year, but I'm already starting to look forward to open water. And I think sooner rather than later, we're going to see open water opportunities up and down the front range. Absolutely. You know, and, and this year I believe they're going to be closing some of the dams just a little bit earlier than in years past as far as the walleye spawn is concerned. But if we can get some ice off in that, you know, late, early to, to, to mid-February type range, it might give us an opportunity to access some of our larger reservoirs and, and fish from the shoreline for some of those big walleyes. Well, and another thing, Austin, here's what I think, and you, you and I have had discussions like this, but here's what I think is going to happen this year, too. 
the Parks and Wildlife stocks catchable trout very heavily up and down the Front Range in the fall, both for fall fishing but for ice fishing and to jumpstart the spring because when you get into the middle of summer on these Front Range lakes, the water starts getting a little warm. If those fish are even still there or catchable, they're very deep. But spring and fall, they're shallow. Most of these fish didn't get a lot of pressure on the Front Range this winter. We didn't have the hordes of ice fishermen because we didn't have the ice. I think you're going to have a lot of uh, stocked and holdover fish in uh, the Front Range lakes that are going to be not pressured, ready to feed. And as the ice recedes, you'll be able to even cast from shore while there's still ice on the lake. I completely agree. And, you know, those trout grow really fast. And with their high metabolism in cold water, they've been doing nothing but eating, uh, you know, pretty much all ice season here. And you'll find some fish that will be actually pretty nice. And as we mentioned before, if you can get out there, especially even with if there's just enough to just cast in one spot as far as open water is concerned, you can catch a lot of fish. Those trout will be congregated in that area of open water. And you can, you know, maybe throw a bait line out or a slip bobber and, and then throw, a, you know, a hard lure or, or you know, even a, a small jerk bait or a marabou jig or a tube or, you know, a whole host of different things. But fishing in that area where you have a little bit of open water, maybe where an inlet's moving in or just along the shoreline, you can have a lot of success coming up here in the next few weeks. One of the things I used to do, I'd even, if the ice wasn't out too far, I'd even cast a little jig out onto the ice and then slowly pull it so it just naturally dropped because that edge of that ice acts like a piece of cover. And they use it, the shadow of that ice, to hunt. And when that little little there's no splash in the water and that little jig just floats down it's just an easy meal they can't resist yeah especially with a small marabou jig that might fall really slowly that can be a good good bet or even a fly rod too i've done the same thing with that where you just have a you know a lightly weighted streamer on there with a a little soft tackle nymph down below and cast it out there onto the ice and then just pull it right off and it just falls right down nice and slowly and a lot of times you'll get that line just ripped right out of your hand when that happens yeah and don't be afraid to use a bobber i mean in that early open water and almost like your ice fishing. Absolutely. Yeah, people, as soon as that ice comes off, they seem to, to want to go larger, and then the same thing happens on the ice, For once the ice comes on, they want to downsize all the way down. And, you know, it's not necessarily, you don't, you don't want to let open water dictate that. So sometimes going with the smaller ice jigs and a slip bobber can be one of your best bets. Another thing before we run out of time on this segment, I know you do a lot of upland game hunting, and we had a little bit of a discussion about this. Some of the later season upland game can be the best. I've my the limited feedback I've gotten is that it's been a pretty good season. There's been quite a few birds, but later in the season, you know, we haven't had the cold snow to gather them up in that crunchy grounds. It's been a little bit of technical hunting. Definitely. You know, a lot of the places that are your easy access areas, like your corners, have been hit exceptionally hard this year and we're not pushing a lot of birds out of those spots uh, windrows are not going to be the greatest right now either for the fact that it's not very cold so those those birds can can move out and, and loaf around but going out to some of your thinner crp sections uh, maybe even some open cornfields if you have a few more people that you can incorporate some blockers on the end you can have some good success with that but as usual just like with fishing getting off the beaten path is going to give you your better opportunities maybe driving further also walking further is going to be better uh, but Paying attention to your weather as well. If we can get any kind of snow out there in those plains, you know, those birds are going to bunch up in more cover. You know, for instance, we were out there just a couple of days ago and uh, found a spot where right at sunset, I probably watched 100 pheasants get up out of the corn and, and fly into CRP like ducks. 
Um, but it, it, it was more one of those cases where those birds are kind of bunched up later in the season, but they're not necessarily being forced into cover. So if you can get out there on a good cold morning or a good cold day in general, you can find those birds and they'll sometimes limit out in, in a hurry. No, there are a good number of birds, I believe, don't you? There really are. I think my feeling is that we've got warm weather this weekend. Then we've got actually three days where I think the plains might get about four inches of snow. I would say during or right after that could trigger if you could get out early in the week before the weekend when it warms up again. And the other thing is if that snow doesn't get crunchy, you get so much closer to the birds. Yeah, and you can track them as well. You know, it's it's always kind of disheartening when you're walking, you know, all day long and and you can't see if there's any tracks. You're not kicking birds up. You know, those birds are in the area. There are birds out there. And just don't hesitate, you know, to maybe knock on a few landowners' doors or move out into some of those open cornfields. A lot of people don't want to hunt them, but we've had some success doing it. Um, it's definitely, you got to have quite a few people and some blockers, but those birds are there. And like I mentioned, the colder weather will push them into the heavier cover and be more accessible. Otherwise, they, when it's warm, they're loafing in the corn, they're loafing in the thin cover. And if you're walking through that heavy cover and it's 55 degrees outside, a lot of times you're not going to kick up very many birds, even if there's a good population in the general vicinity. All right, last question before I let you go and make it brief, but if you had to go one ice fish, destination and then this weekend because we're going to be warm or one open water or both where would you go i think stagecoach is going to be my number one for the ice right now fishing's been really good up there uh you know some some really really high quality fish um you know and as far as open water conditions you it'd be kind of a a, a the toss-up between two. I might either run down to Pueblo and do that tailwater, or you know, the Cheeseman Canyon tailwater has been fishing really well. And whether you're fly fishing up there, or maybe throwing some smaller, smaller jigs, or, or some some little jerk baits in the river, either one of those destinations can be pretty productive if you don't want to get out on the ice. People want more information. Where do they find you, Austin? You can find me at Discount Fishing Tackle. We're just south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. I am down here all the time, so please come on down, stop in. We can talk about any of these topics discussed today, or anything else in general when it comes to. Fishing. Thank you, my friend. We will uh, talk to you again very soon. Thank you so much, Terry. I appreciate it. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Um, We've been telling you we're going to try to take you around the state today and get you caught up on all the winter activities. We talked a lot about the ISE last week and the last couple weeks indoors, but it's it's really time to get out there. And to help us with that, joining us from State Forest State Park is Tony Johnson. Good morning, Tony. Morning, Terry. It's uh, you know what? It's people in Colorado don't stay indoors in the winter, Tony. No, we're starting to see a huge increase in people getting outside. Both. uh, a lot of uh, advancements in technology and just gear helping that. And you live in, or live, you work at least in one of the mo- most incredible places to get outdoors in the winter. I've been there many times. Before we even start, explain to people where State uh, State Forest State Park is, and it's a little different how it's laid out. So yeah, State Forest State Park, largest state park in the in the state. We're about seventy two thousand acres, um, in between Fort Collins and Steamboat, just outside of Walden. So basically just south of the uh, Wyoming border. And you're kind of right over Cameron Pass, and you've got, uh, what do you got, a number of lakes. You've got, I know you've got the Ranger Lakes, and of course North Michigan Reservoir, you've got rivers, but you have some alpine or hike-up lakes there too, is that right? Yeah, we've got some great high alpine lakes. Um, Lake Agnes is one of our well-known ones. It's a beautiful hike-up, some great fly fishing, also Clear Lake, Kelly Lake, 
and Ruby Jewel. Let's talk a little bit about what people would come up there now for. And before we even get to the fishing, I think one of the neatest things in your area year-round, but especially in the winter because you just seem to have a few more sightings, is the wildlife watching. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. North Park, Walden especially, known for its moose. Um, People come up here, come from all over to get a good look at a moose. Um, Pretty much wherever you look, you have a good chance of bumping into a few. And and the one thing I want to say about a moose is, first of all, they're majestic, they're large, they're beautiful. They look kind of like a big clumsy cow, but don't get too close. They are probably the most dangerous animal in Colorado, but perfectly safe to watch if you do it from a distance and use common sense. And I, the number one thing I like to tell people, if you're going to moose country, leave your dogs at home. I 100% agree. Um, we do have the regulation of the six-foot leash, and we do enforce that up here. It's, it's for your own safety and your pet's safety. Yeah, most moose attacks are triggered by even a dog on a leash because they see it as a predator. But, you know, a lot of times you'll see that moose up there doing some of the other activities. I, how is the snow? And I know there's a lot of trails for cross-country skiing and, and snowshoeing and snowmobiling. How's all that going up there? Well, we just got about 12 inches of snow up here last night and yesterday. So trails are awesome. Great time to get up here. Um, we got a lot of snowmobile trails. We've got actually what's a full moon open house hike tonight, which if you're not doing anything this evening, put something in the crock pot, head up. We got a, uh, a potluck about 5.30 this evening, and then you can do a moonlit hike around the Gould Loop, cross-country ski or snowshoe. Oh, and that's a, what a beautiful area. And, you know, I, the best way to get there, I live in Fort Collins, is right over Cameron Pass, but you can come up the other side and come out through Walden, too. And either way, it's just it's fantastic once you get there. And, you know, I don't want to, we're talking about fishing opportunities on the Front Range here, too. Um, there are a ton of fishing opportunities there, summer and winter. What are some of the ice fishing opportunities I might find up there? North Michigan Reservoir is doing really well ice fishing this year um it's I, I would i would categorize it more as a entry level ice fishing if you want to get out here just kind of learn learn the the tactics and see how to handle how to have what you're doing out there and have a really good chance at catching some, some nice sized trout well and i think the water's a little down you're doing some work there so those fish are actually kind of concentrated aren't they they are yep yep I'll tell you, a lot of people don't know this, but ice fishing in lakes like North Michigan or a lot of these lakes that are stocked pretty regularly, the catch rate is actually almost double through the ice than it is in open water because you get out to make a presentation to them that you, you can work an area. We were talking earlier how we've had minimal ice down on the front range, but there's going to be good ice fishing. I would imagine, and nobody knows, but that you'll have good ice on North Michigan probably well into March at least. Oh, at least in the March, yeah. We typically hold ice in the late April, early May. And like you said, there's a, an abundance of fish there. And you mentioned that, that it's a it's place to learn. It's got a lot of stalkers. But North Michigan gets a fair number of holdovers, too. You get some nice-sized fish at times. Yeah, we'll have some, some real massive-sized browns come out of there. Um, a little more technique, a little more tack, but uh, if you know what you're doing, you have a good chance of catching a good-sized brown. Now, I'll tell you what. If somebody wants to see North Michigan, I actually did... One of my television shows there several years ago, and I used it as an example of first ice and how to use an ice pick to check the ice and how to set up. But I'll tell you the kind of how the fishing went. And you can go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, and look for North Michigan uh, First Ice, I think is the name of it. And we set up the film. We wanted to show some basic ice fishing, and I think I drilled 
four or six holes at different depths. And then we set the camera up, and I moved around in those holes till I located a few fish. I caught so many fish like in an hour, hour and a half, that we quit filming and let the camera people fish because we had all the footage we wanted. It was just phenomenal. And all I was using was a little ice fishing jig with a piece of gulp, like a gulp maggot on a, on a, a small ice jig. And it was phenomenal. One other time, while doing that, I, uh, I was moving around looking for those big browns. And I cut a hole shallower, kind of where the weed edge still was. And it's probably different now because the water's down. And I saw all kinds of things in my electronics, but I went down there and I couldn't get through. I couldn't catch. So I put a, a portable camera down there and looked, and it was a huge weed bed. But in that weed bed were big browns. So I put a heavier lure on it, busted it through those weeds, and caught about a 23-inch brown. So, I mean, so, so, so you can, you can I, and I returned that fish. So you can really, that, that to me is one of my favorite ice fishing lakes in the state because you can catch big fish, but if you're taking somebody or, like you said, you're just starting, uh, what a great place to go because there's, you know, a reasonable uh, chance of success there. So it's, it's pretty, a pretty good place. Before we let you go, Tony, um, tell people again about the event you have going on tonight. So, yeah, we got a, it's called a full moon open house hike tonight. It starts about 5.30. It's a potluck. We'll have it here at the visitor center, the Moose Visitor Center. Um, grab a good dinner, bring a good dinner, eat a good dinner, and then uh, head out on the Gould Loop for a, a moonlit hike, uh, cross-country ski or snowshoe. We'll have hot chocolate and cookies up at the, it's called the Chocolate Cabin. That's about the three-mile mark on the trail. Um, if you can't make tonight, we also have one February 16th. We do it twice a year. So uh, put that on the calendar. If you can't make tonight, if you can, head up here. We're about three hours outside of Denver, so that gives you plenty of time. You know, one thing we want to make sure we mention, too, is that you do have winter camping and cabins, and you're on the new reservation system. Tell people how that works. We do. So we are one of the areas in Colorado. Not a lot of Wi-Fi, not a lot of cell phone service. So we are on reservations only. We highly encourage anybody coming up to camp, and this is any time throughout the season, um, to get on and plan their trip and make reservations ahead of time before they get up here. Um, we do reservations six months in advance, so anytime you're, you're thinking about coming up for the summer or, or anytime later this week, just get online, CPW shop, and make a reservation. And you can actually do it the same day, but like you said, you have limited service up there. So, I mean, so there is no first-come, first-serve up there anymore for both cabins and the campsites, right? Correct, yep. And you keep a fair number of campsites open, or at least try to? We do. We keep uh, about five sites plowed out for the winter, but we also rely on our cabins. We have the North Michigan cabins and the North Park cabins, and uh, we keep those. try to keep those as heated as possible and plowed out and accessible all winter long. I'll tell you, those North Michigan cabins are right on the lake. What a great ice fishing trip that would be. Stay, you could virtually just walk down the hill and be out on the lake and ice fishing. And I've looked at those cabins. In fact, I, don't, I did a couple shows. I might, I might have included shots of them on one of the shows. I might have been a summer show I did that up there, though. But it's really wonderful. But the key is, folks, that new, about half the parks in Colorado now are on the new reservation only system but you don't have to pay a fee for reservations anymore and you don't have to do it in advance of course if you don't do it in advance it might be taken but you can but if you get up there and you can't get online you won't or can't make a phone call you can't make your reservation tony thank you for joining us i'm sure a lot of this information is on the website and i know you guys do a lot on facebook now too that's correct yep you can find us on facebook 
State Forest State Park and uh, see what kind of local kind of events we got coming up. All right. Thank you for joining us. All right. Thank you. All right. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer and a partner of this show for well over a decade. We're going to the phones, and uh, joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is uh, Esteban Vigil, and we're going to talk about something that's actually kind of reared its head about 10 years ago. It's been around for a long, long time, but it really became probably public when it hit 11 Mile, and that's gill lice. And um, Esteban, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. You know, you and I have talked about this a couple times over the last few years. Um, let's kind of start out maybe by bringing people up to date on the history of gill lice in Colorado. They've actually been around for quite a while, haven't they? Yes, they have. So, you know, our first documented recorded uh, gill lice incidents in Colorado was back in the early 1900s, in fact, as far back as 1907, um, since that they were documented in the state. Now, we don't know if they were natural here, but I think we suspect they probably came from somewhere else originally. Is that what you think? That's what my thoughts on it are. There, There's not really any historical data before fish were starting to be transferred around of gill lice in, in Colorado. Um, once we started having gill lice, our trout moved to the areas when gill lice were first noticed in the state. Now, do they affect mostly the, the salmon trout type species, or are they, do they affect any warm water species? No, the the specific type of lice we're talking about today is gill lice, and they do not infect any warm water species. These are only only infect trout. And in Colorado, so far, we've only found uh, kokanee salmon and rainbow trout and cutthroat to be infected. Right, and it's varied by water and by species and lake. Uh, let's, um, you know, it's a it it kind of ballooned. I think you know it was probably around, and and they're not a. To my understanding, they're not even a recognized pathogen or controlled in Colorado. Is that right? That's right. That that's right. They're not a recognized pathogen, and historically, they've had very little impact on our state fisheries. And of course, that kind of uh, came to light. Was it about uh, 2006 or something when we had the 11 mile kokanee crash, something like that? Yeah, right there around that time, 2006, 2007, um, the gill lice infection on the kokanee in 11 Mile. We had also a drought year that year that kind of made environmental conditions stressful on the fish. We coupled that with the gill lice infection, and it led to the kokanee die-off um, up at 11 Mile Reservoir. Now, we're going to get to this a little later. I think we know of some infected waters in Colorado, and they could be very impactful, and we know... There's some clean waters yet, and we're going to talk to you about maybe what we can do to help make sure those stay clean. But let's kind of go through first what, how the gill lice spread, what exasperates the condition. I know that, uh, let's take 11 Mile as, a, as an example. You probably believe there were gill lice in there for many years before that kokanee crash, right? Yes, yes. Um, as long as environmental conditions are favorable, the gill lice parasite really has little effect on fisheries uh, and populations. The, the fish immune systems, as long as they're in a healthy environment, is strong enough to fight off most of the infection, and they do pretty well. What, 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 how does that affect it? What happens? Because they're, they get concentrated, because the water is warmer, does it make? What, what are the factors that 
seemed to. It's a it's a combination of all that. They they, they first get concentrated. It, the water warmer water temperatures will start to stress the fish. That reduces their immune system ability to fight off the gill lice infection, and because of that, they're more susceptible to the lice actually being able to take hold on the fish. Um, and then with the kokanee being a schooling fish and being concentrated in a low reservoir like that, when the egg sacs hatch, they're just a lot more probable of, of contacting another fish and passing around that pathogen uh, throughout the entire population. Now, there's been a lot of uproar in the fishing community lately about the effect of gill lice and a lot of fear. We're going to talk about that. One of the reasons, of course, the concentration of fish affects it is the fact that I, I don't think gill lice can live very long without being on a host. Is that right? That's correct. Once the egg sacs hatch from the gill lice, they only, in the very coldest water, the maximum they're going to live for is about 15 days. They have to find a fish within that time period in order to survive. If not, those juvenile gill lice would die. All right. So that's why when the water gets lower, gets a little warmer, the fish are closer by, the gill lice live a little longer, the immune system comes down, and all that affects the fish. Now, 11 mile... And I want to get to some of the other waters impacted because we could have some drastic effects in the state. 11 Mile seems to have recovered a little bit. Now, how did you do? Did you cut down? I think one of the things you guys do is cut down on stocking. Is that what you do? Yeah, so the idea behind 11 Mile, and and we haven't rebounded it to the point where we're using it as a big broodstock lake anymore, but it's rebounded to the point where at least angling is good again or there. And how we do that is by reducing the number of kokanee we stocked so that they're not so crowded and they don't path, pass around the pathogen as easily um, as if there were more fish in the lake. Now, we went through up till last year several pretty high water level years in our Colorado reservoirs. I think 11 Mile actually has even maintained through that. So has that been another key to keep those water levels up? Absolutely. Absolutely. If, if as long as we can keep... if the environmental conditions favorable for the fish, um, they really seem to do pretty well at fighting gill lice infection off. Let's talk about some of the other waters, because we've got some waters that, where are some of the infected waters and what are the fears or the potential outcomes? Well, our biggest concern right now would be Blue Mesa Reservoir. Our kokanee salmon in there have recently been infected with gill lice over in the last couple of years. We've noticed it. Um, and originally, as I mentioned, when the reservoir was high, there, the gill lice infection was relatively low, and we didn't see much of an issue with it. But now that we've come out of this huge drought year, and those kokanee have been concentrated in Blue Mesa, we've seen our gill lice infection rates in that reservoir go up to well, 98% of those fish are now infected. And that's really important because the kokanee in Blue Mesa Reservoir provide the eggs for a lot of our kokanee stocking throughout the state. And if that kokanee population were to crash because of something like gill lice and these low water years, um, I'm not sure that we're going to have many kokanee eggs to stock all the waters that we're stocking right now. That program might be reduced quite a bit. Now, before we even get to the ramifications of that, there are a number of waters in Colorado that are infected. Do you have a list of that posted somewhere? We do. On Colorado Parks and Wildlife website, there is a gill lice fact sheet, and that goes over some of the history, some background on gill lice, and also talks about some of the stuff that CPW is trying to learn about gill lice. On that fact sheet, we do have a map of uh, waters that we've inspected and 
it shows on there which waters we found gill lice in, and it also shows waters where we've inspected and did not find gill lice. On that Go gill ahead. lice fact sheet, we have a um, we're asking anglers to help. On the very bottom of that, we have a couple of email addresses where you can get a hold of us here at CPW and feel free to ask us questions about gill lice, but also we can add to our map and keep our gill lice database going for the state. Now, we still have some clean waters in the state. Are any of the prominent ones you can list maybe that we want to maybe really watch that are clean? You know, we have a lot of really good fish in clean waters. You know, one of our bigger... Kokanee Lakes would be up near um, the Middle Park area or Granby or Grand Lake, kind of that whole system of lakes there all the way down to Wolford Reservoir. Um, Those lakes at this time are clean, and we'd like for them to remain clean of gill lice if possible. Oh, I I understand completely. Now, let's talk about what mitigation you can do. And by the way, are you seeing much infection of trout, or is it mostly kokanee? We see... uh, Population effects, it seems like, in the kokanee more than we're seeing on the trout. We do see infections on rainbow trout and and some cutthroat populations, but not to the extent that we're seeing the effects like we see on kokanee. Now, to date, there is no way to remove the gill lice, so you're trying to manage it by stocking policies. Is that right? That's our best tool right now is our stocking policies as things like decreasing stocking rates, like I mentioned, in 11 Mile. But also, we can stock fish that are not susceptible to gill lice. So in Colorado, our trout species like brown trout and brook trout are not susceptible to gill lice. And so if we were to stock those, we could potentially lower those infection rates on the other fish in the water. So, and using 11 Mile as an example, and hopefully we don't go through too uh, big of a problem at Blue Mesa. We'll talk a little bit more of that in a minute. But... um, so what you do, like at, at, at some place like 11 Mile, you're going to try to stock the species that aren't as susceptible, but you're going to cut way back on the kokanee. Then as water levels raise and the infection level, and do you measure the infection level by the percentage of fish or the number of lice or both? Both. Okay, and so because a few lice don't seem to affect them as much, do they? Right, right. In a typical infection in a healthy water, you're going to see 50 to 60% of those fish infected but most of those fish are going to have five lice or less on them, and they seem to be in good condition and, and able to deal with that lice load. All right. And then if it starts getting more than that, you start seeing detrimental effects. So after a period of low stocking, is the hope that the concentration of the lice will go down and the water levels are up, and then you'll be able to increase the population some? Yeah, so if we can lower those infection rates and monitor and and get down to levels where only 20% of the fish are infected or so and our environmental conditions are favorable, then, yeah, we would be able to go ahead and bump those stocking rates back up and just monitor that through time and, you know, make sure that, you know, next time we were to enter a drought or something that we were conscious of either reducing our stocking rates again or at least monitoring those gill lice infections to see if they start to come up. Now, the last thing, and we're going to run out of time, and we could spend an hour on this because it's critical. Like you said, Blue Mesa, Blue Mesa has, well, I'll make a quick comment. We need to get water back in Blue Mesa for a lot of reasons, or we're going to be in tough shape, aren't we? 
Yes, yes, definitely. It's the lowest this reservoir has been in a very, very long time, and um, it's it's really a sad story. No, it really is, and it could really affect, and not only the kokanee fishermen, but wherever we grow large lake trout and some of the other predators, those kokanee are also one of the major forage bases that grow those giant 40-, 50-pound lake trout. Now, the last thing, uh, I re- at one time when we first started seeing the ex- exasperation of this problem, there were some gill lice discovered in uh, Parks and Wildlife hatcheries. Has that been totally cleaned up? That has been totally cleaned up. We we do have a medicated feed that we are able to feed fish in hatcheries um, where we are able to actually get rid of gill lice in a controlled system like that. It's just not possible in the wild at this point. Right. So right now, they're either going to have to get in. If they got into any clean waters, they would have to come through a river system or through some form of stocking. Um, it's not a pathogen, so we're not seeing fish necessarily check for this. But I think you and I have talked, and you think it's pretty critical that any fish stocked in Colorado be examined for this, don't you? Right. I think any fish stocks in Colorado um, that are any fish that are being stocked around, if they are uh, potentially susceptible to gill lice, it's worth taking a look at those and, and trying to make sure that you're not having infected fish put into new systems. Estevan, we are way out of time. I'd like to, I love this topic. I mean, I think it's important. Um, Just give people again where they can find that information online. Okay, so that's all at cpw.state.co.us. That's Colorado Parks and Wildlife's website. If you do a search in that for a gill lice fact sheet, it should put you right on that information. Thank you so much, and hopefully we can get this problem under control. And I appreciate Parks and Wildlife coming on and talking to us about it. Thanks for having us, Terry. You bet. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. And speaking of Sun, I want to mention, you, know, you heard me talking about some of our partners who were down at the um, ISE show, the International Sportsman's Exposition. By the way, thank you folks for stopping by. We certainly appreciate that. And it was so good to see so many of you. Thank but you. Sun got incredibly busy at the show. They had the, such deals on ATVs and motorcycles. They even had their Harleys there. You know, they not only have the ATVs and the and the imported motorcycles and the side-by-sides and power sports. They're at the boat show, by the way, right now with the, um, with the Ski-Doos. So you might want to stop by and see them there, too, and talk to them. But they also had incredible deals from the manufacturers, and they couldn't get to everybody. They had such an incredible show. It was so busy. So they've extended some of those deals. Now, I don't have a list of which ones, but if you go by the shop and say, you know, you heard that they had some show deals that were still available, they they were just too good to pass up. If you're looking for an ATV, a side-by-side, a motorcycle, whether an import or a Harley, they've just got so much going on. This is the time. You know, first, the reason they come to these shows, it's a little bit of the off-season for those kind of sales. So that's why the manufacturers step up and really give them deals to keep inventory moving during this time of the year. And that's what precipitates the great deals. And of course, with Sun's buying power anyway, being one of the largest in the country, 
certain the lar- certainly the largest in Colorado. They buy at such prices because they buy huge volume. They go to a lot of auctions, a lot of deals. They always have super super buys there. So stop by and see them. And you know, tell them you heard about them here. One of the things about this show, if you like, like if you were listening to that last segment on the Gill Lice, you know, even if it's not related to that sponsor, when you hear us bring that kind of information, the reason we're on the air doing that is because we have great sponsors that make this show possible. So go out and and visit with them. We're going to change things up here again in a minute. We're going to take a quick break and Matt Ensley is going to join us and we're going to talk some fishing. But before we do that, you know, just Everybody that came by the ISE show, we're so grateful. We tried some new things with it. A lot of the people coming up on the air yet, you're going to hear talking about what they thought of the new additions to our presentations. And we want feedback from you, too. So the best way is go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook becomes the focal point of this radio show and everything I do. If I put an article somewhere, you've seen my articles in the Denver Post. Anytime we put an article somewhere, we post that on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. A lot of times I go back and reach back to articles I wrote from in Fishermen, from Fishing Facts, the Denver Post, Mile High Sports Magazine, whoever, and I think it's pertinent. I may change a little bit, or if it's still online, I may just reference it and bring it up because it's pertinent information and it's timely, and we'll do that. Every time we add another episode of our television shows, they're past episodes, but every time we add one to our YouTube channel, uh, we which is the best of fishing with Terry Wickstrom, we post that on our Facebook page. If we're having a special guest or if we covered a topic that we think really needs to get out in the public, we will link the podcast or tell you ahead of time that that's coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. So that's the way. And then we have a lot of contest giveaways that we associate. We give out information on that Facebook page, and then we use that as trivia questions during the year to um, giveaway. We give away tickets to ISE. We give away tackle. We give away just all all sorts of different prizes. So we really want you on board there. And then you can send us a message. You can communicate with us there. So it gives us a chance to talk about what's going on. I tell you what, we're going to take a quick time out. It'll be very brief. We're going to come back and Matt Ensley from Tight Lines Outdoors is going to join us and we're going to talk more fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 